As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's full court with Fisher and Kay, and let's get right into it because college basketball was in peak form this past week. There's a ton to look forward to this upcoming week as well, including a renewed historic rivalry after a 15-year pause for quite the reasoning. Polls have plenty of parity and a guest who can speak to the craziness of it all. So let's start with the polls. There's a new number one in women's college basketball and no blue bloods in the latest AP polls as far as Duke, Kentucky, and North Carolina. On the women's side, Louisville gets its first number one ranking in school history after number one Stanford gets upset by Colorado. There's actually a video of Dana Evans of Louisville in the post-game interview where they ended up telling her that the Cardinal, as in Stanford, got upset. And her face told it all that the Cardinals could be the next in line for the top spot. So just a really great storyline there. And over over a four-day period, nine top 25 women's programs lost. Outside of the Stanford game, Baylor lost to Iowa State. And that was particularly jarring because it snapped Baylor's 61-game home win streak. Last season, in the final regular season game, Iowa State beat Baylor in their house to end the 58-game Big 12 win streak that they had been riding, and Iowa State is the only Big 12 team to beat Baylor twice in the past six years, so quite the movement and shifting in the women's poll. Of the teams to be number one in the women's poll this season, which do you think is the best team, Kara? Is it a Louisville, Stanford, or South Carolina, or is it none of those three, maybe a UConn? Well, definitely a little biased, but maybe after this weekend, I'm going to say Louisville. Um, I really like Dana Evans and her play. They also have Haley Van Lith, who's a ton of fun. They have depth on their roster, like you talked about. Um, They had five and double figures in their most recent win. And I just love Dana Evans' response to hearing Stanford losing. Um, She's like, you know, we'll celebrate in the gym, like try not to make a big deal out of it, but obviously meant a lot to them. to make that number one spot. And I just love like the energy of their team. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going to have to go with South Carolina here. I think they have a ton of swagger, tons of young guns. They've been able to mesh really, really well and they know how to pull out wins. And I think just kind of their play speaks for itself, but I would put UConn at a close second. And actually they rank second nationally in points per possession. Yes, their schedule has been affected by COVID. So no Louisville or Baylor game. But nonetheless, they've run over their opponents in really, really efficient ways. A major story on the men's side are the Blue Bloods. Um, We have no Duke, no Kentucky, and no North Carolina in this week's AP Top 25 poll. Um, It's the first time that the Blue Devils and the Tar Heels have been unranked since 1982. And the first time since 1961 that we have Duke, Carolina, and Kentucky all unranked. Yeah, and to give that some context... Since 1982, so I was negative 15. And then the first time Duke, Carolina, and Kentucky were all in ranks since 1961. For more context, not only was I not born yet, but my parents were not born yet. So that's nearly a 60-year record. 
pretty incredible. And then if the NCAA tournament started today, would Duke or Kentucky be on the right side of the bubble? No. And then the last time neither Duke or Carolina made the field was 1976 when the tournament had just included 32 teams. So tons of history, not the right side of it, but we'll see if the Blue Bloods can come out on the other side. We talk about Kentucky. They had that one and six start um, that included six losses. They went all of December without having a single victory. Um, they are ranked 55th in Kempom with that four and eight overall record. But that's like the least amount of wins, um, except for Penn State, who's three and eight, but the least amount of wins in the top 60 on Kempom. So doesn't look good for the Wildcats. Yeah, the 3-0 start in SEC gave some hope and momentum. They followed those up with back-to-back -back losses to Alabama and Auburn, however. It does not get any easier for them in the SEC. They also have freshman five-star Terrence Clark out for at least another week with injury. And Cal said on the radio that he might as well try as many as four new starters this week when they played Georgia, so something to keep an eye on. And I actually noticed something right before we hopped on for this. He said whatever guy is going to compete in practice uh, might end up giving them five new starters. So we'll see who they end up putting on the floor. Of course, we need to talk about Duke's issues. They are five and three. They have not beaten a team with a winning record yet. They play Louisville this upcoming Saturday. And I just want to say, I know this sounds a bit rough, but I truly think Duke got a lot of nods in the votes for the poll for the brand name. We're seeing that change their number 93 in the net, which is nowhere near good enough to make the tournament as it stands right now. Um, I guess Alex last week talked about, you know, the ACC being not as strong as usual, but we still have Virginia who's looking a little bit better. So Duke will match up with them um, in about a month. And then there's some other teams like Florida State. Um, that game with Duke was postponed. They already lost to Virginia Tech, who's having a pretty good season. Um, they still have the two um, North Carolina games, which are always, you know, huge rivalry games left on the schedule, but Carolina kind of has had some issues of their own this season. They are eight and five. They were ranked as high as number 16, but they fell out of the rankings before the calendar year changed. They lost to Texas in Maui in the Maui Invitational in the championship game by only two. So it really wasn't a bad loss, but they've kind of been quiet since then. They also lost to Iowa. But again, not really a giant fall from grace. They've had a couple of close ACC wins. But what I think is so funny, right? So eight and five, you know, a couple good wins, but not really a couple losses to teams that you would expect them to lose to. If Marquette had an eight and five record and had the games that they had and, you know, was ranked number 16 and then fell out, no one would be talking about them. We are talking about them because they are North Carolina. And they are a blue blood, and we just have these high expectations for these teams. I mean, Kentucky fans clearly upset. Duke fans probably not doing well. And North Carolina just having a mediocre season after, you know, what had happened last year where Roy Williams was upset night after night uh, for the guys he was coaching and the team that he had. A team who's having a much better year than those we just talked about, um, Baylor. They got a big win over Kansas this week. It was only, ended up only by eight points, but really was, you know, they had control most of that game. They let Kansas get within five a couple of times, um, but they were led by Jared Beller, who had 30 points, including seven of nine from three. And after the game, he said, it might be the blue jerseys. It might be that they didn't recruit me. I don't know what it is. Talking about Kansas, how he always seems to have big games against Kansas. Um, 
kind of just reaffirming that Baylor is, if not the best, one of the two best teams in the country. We need to talk about if any teams need to worry about hitting the 13 game minimum to play in the NCAA tournament. Selection Sunday is on March 14th. That's less than two months away. There are 37 at-large bids this year, one more than normal due to the 31 auto bids being down a conference with the Ivy out. And so I, I did the little bit of a deep dive, right? So I had spoken to someone from a conference office who said our biggest goal is to make sure that every one of our teams gets to the 13 game mark. One team has had the biggest hurdle and that is New Mexico State who has played just one game so far this season, one. They lost to CSUN on December 28th. And I would also note that the Patriot League teams will need to stay active in order to hit the 13 game mark as both American and Loyola Maryland have just two games played. UC Davis and UC San Diego have three apiece and in terms of schools who have made the NCAA tournament in recent history and experienced long pauses this year, DePaul has 13 games left on their schedule. They will be fine, should everything hold up. But if one league gets hit hard, it could be a disaster come tournament time for some of these teams. And one last thing, I just have a gripe with, with the stats for this year, because that's something, again, I don't think we thought about when COVID started to ravage college basketball. I was like, okay, I want to see, you know, who are some of like the worst shooting teams. Obviously, we're 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 pointing out some of the the rough showings in college basketball tonight. But I want I really wanted to see what some of the worst shooting teams and who is being affected by what. And of course, it's it's the Loyola Marylands and the Americans who have only made and shot like 12 threes so far this year as a team. And so it's really hard to judge. Um, and the teams who haven't played are kind of ruining it for the rest of them in that regard. And again, an unexpected turn of events that COVID has brought on. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, we did get a couple updates on the men's side today. Um, they announced that most of the games will be taking place um, across some of the different venues they had already announced. The first four will be held with two games at Mackey Arena, which is the home of Purdue, two games at Assembly Hall, the home of Indiana, and then pretty cool, the Sweet 16 will be at Hinklefield House, which I know a historic venue. Everyone's been very excited to hopefully get some of those games there. And then the final four will stay at Lucas Oil. Um, not really gonna be sure on the fan situation yet or the crowd situation, but still keeping it in that massive venue. So that was interesting. So Kara, if the tournament started today and we had to pick a team on the men's side other than Gonzaga or Baylor to win it all, who would you pick? Hmm. I'm going to go with Texas. Um, they have had some big games this season, include, including that huge win against Kansas. Um, yes, they, they recently lost only by two, so that's okay. Um, they just have a ton of talent. We've seen them have, again, some really big games. They lost barely to Villanova, who's another great team. Kind of could think about an Iowa in this position, a Villanova, although we haven't seen them play lately, and Illinois even, who I think is super talented but inconsistent, but I'll go with Texas. Texas is not a bad pick. You mentioned how they had, you know, played Villanova, or that you had thought about Villanova, excuse me and that we haven't seen them play since December. But what I love about Villanova is that they are consistent. They are a logical basketball team. We haven't seen them play in a month, but if any team can bounce back, I think it can be them. Obviously, it, it can be difficult for a team that's on a long pause to get back into the swing of conditioning and practices and what have you. But again, I 
and Jay Wright, we trust. That is that is what I am going with at this point in time if I cannot pick Gonzaga or Baylor to win it all. But on the women's side, if the tournament had started today, who would win it all? Because it's not as clear cut. Definitely not, especially with some of the um, different wins we've seen over the last couple of days, some of those upsets. Um, a team we talked about a lot is Stanford. That would be my pick. I think I just trust the coaching of Tara Vanderveer. Obviously, she has a ton of experience, and they have tons of talent as well, um, like Fran Bleeby, Haley Jones. So I just kind of trust that coaching consistency, I think, will be important in a tournament like this year where – or this season, excuse me, where, you know, it's kind of all over the place. You kind of just have to be relying on your leadership and relying on your experience. Definitely. I will still be picking South Carolina. If we're talking fearless leaders, Don Staley is one of the best of them. But I also like Arizona's chances this year. And yes, that's definitely a sleeper team. They've been ranked consistently, but still, I don't think anyone's been picking them to actually win it all. But I watched their game against Oregon and Ari McDonald played incredibly. And then Sue Bird was on ESPN after talking about, oh my gosh, is that girl going to be in the WNBA? And would I have to guard her? Because I definitely do not want to guard her. And so very high praise. Um, it would be a cool crossover. And again, just would be a nice switch up to see Arizona win, but again, picking South Carolina to win it all. A couple of quick notes. We also had some announcements for the women's um, NCAA championships. Um, they're going to have a traditional 64 team bracket. Um, they're going to be waiving the rule that you have to be at least 500 um, because of COVID this year. Like we kind of talked about the 13 games they want to, they, they would like teams to have get those 13 games in, but they're also going to be accepting waivers from teams that either can't get them in or don't think they'll be able to get in. They have like a window in February where they're able, able to submit a waiver. Um, they're still planning on having it mostly in the San Antonio area. We haven't really got too many updates on that. Um, they also said they would allow one conference tournament game to be counted towards that 13. So plenty more to be kind of discussed there, but some announcements on that as well. One women's basketball team you cannot count out, the Colorado Buffaloes, who came into the game against Stanford with a five and six record, handed the number one team in the country a big loss um, out in Boulder this weekend. And we have the perfect guest to speak to that win. Joining us now is J.R. Payne, the head coach of Colorado women's basketball. And coach, Colorado hadn't beaten Stanford since 2002. It's been nearly two decades. I know you haven't been in Boulder for that entire stint, but what does it mean to get such a seismic win like this when they're ranked number one over Stanford? Yeah, I mean, the win in and of itself was just amazing. I mean, incredible, you know, for our players and staff and fans and everybody. Um, I don't know if you guys know the history of us with Stan Stanford dating back to last season. Um, you know, at that time, I think they were ranked maybe seventh the first time we played them and then eighth maybe the next time. But we really felt like we should have beaten them twice last year and two of the most heartbreaking losses came to the hands came at the hands of Stanford last year on a buzzer beater and then a overtime. So, you know, to be honest, I think, you know, as coaches, we prepare for every single game the same, but I can guarantee our players had that game circled on their calendar, you know, all year long. So it meant a lot to all of us to, you know, to finally be able to beat them. And you said after the game, um, referencing your team, I told them all there's a thousand reasons. I'm proud of them. The way we performed today was the biggest. We just really had the right mindset going into this game. 
So what do you do to get your team in that right mindset to go out and perform that way, especially against the number one team in the country? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is our preparation was really, really good. You know, we've, as you're growing a program, there's so many little steps that you have to take in order to even give yourself an opportunity to compete, let alone beat um, a team like Stanford. And, And there's so much that goes into that. It's not just, oh, just recruit a bunch of good players. Um, you know, a lot of people have, have been able to do that, but just, um, you know, really being able to focus on preparing to be successful. We never talk about beating Stanford. We talk about preparing to be successful, you know, on Sunday afternoon when we get a chance to play them. So uh, the coolest thing for me was that um, we had multiple upperclassmen that really stepped up during our days and, and even on game day leading into the contest, you know, that really kind of grab people, you know, and was like, these reps aren't good enough. You know, we need to make sure we're preparing each other. Give me a great rep. Um, our focus is, is, you know, on point or it's not where it needs to be. Um, you know, so to have our players begin to do that, you know, coaches are saying it all the time, but, um, when your players start doing that, I I really felt like, okay, we're, we're finally getting, you know, where we need to be to compete like this. You talked about your players. One of them that had a huge um, afternoon evening was Maya Hollingshed. She had 32 points, 10 rebounds, yeah. her sixth double-double of the season. Can you kind of talk about her dominance in that game and then so far this season? Yeah, man, she was really good. It was so funny because as coaches, you know, we're talking and I'm like, let's get her the ball here. Okay, we got to get her the ball there. Now we can isolate her in the short corner. We'll isolate her at the elbow, you know, just she was so good in so many different ways uh, that night and, and Stanford kept throwing different defenders at her. So it was like, all right, if Brink's on her, let's put her there. If, if Haley Jones is on her, let's put her here. Um, you know, just, just knowing that, that Maya has a very uh, versatile skill set. you know, she can face up, she can back you down, she can shoot the three. Um, she's got great mid range, um, you know, face up and all that stuff. So Really, we were just trying to continue to feed her the basketball. Um, and then, of course, other people stepped up while we were doing that. Um, you know, so, yeah, she was she was pretty spectacular. And, um, you know, not just uh, offensively, but again, her vo- vocal presence, you know, during timeouts um, on the free throw line, things like that were, were pretty clutch. So Maya's been there for four years and she had said, we're not coming out of this with a loss. There are no moral victories and that it takes putting together a full 40 minutes, which kind of alludes to what you were even saying earlier about your players picking up on it, but how has she grown and perhaps even earned moments like these? Yeah. Well, you know, even dating back to the, the most heartbreaking loss against Stanford last year, when they stole the ball and threw up a half court shot and it went in and we lost. Maya, it, towards the end of that game, you know, in the closing seconds, um, she was doing some things that a young player does, you know, celebrating too early. She was doing this to the crowd. You know, there was four or 5,000 people here. And just, there was a lot that we learned from that ball game, you know, as a, as a group. But, but Maya in particular learned a lot, you know, from that game. And so um, to hear her telling her teammates, don't celebrate, like stay locked in, focus, you know, Let's make sure we communicate, you know, all those different things that, that she was talking about, um, you know, is, is just a perfect example of the way that she's grown, you know, during her time. Her numbers have grown, you know, incrementally, but those are the types of things that, that people outside of our circle really don't see. We talked a bit about Maya. She earned Pac-12 Player of the Week honors, and then you also had Frida Foreman, who earned Pac-12 Freshman of the Week honors. Um, yeah. The first time you've had, you know, Colorado women sweep those awards. 
Um, what does Frida bring to your team? And then what makes you excited about her potential with her just being a freshman? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we first learned about Frida, um, a coach back in Denmark sent me a message like in the middle of the night because of the time change. And I never answer my phone in the middle of the night unless it's one of our players that has an emergency. And um, I actually looked at the message for some reason and watched like a couple minutes of the highlights and immediately wrote him back like, yes, yes, we want this kid. How do we get her? Um, you know, cause she just has, obviously she can really shoot the ball and, you know, can score in a lot of different ways, um, ways that she hasn't even really demonstrated in college yet, but ways that she's played in, in, uh, overseas with her national team and such. Um, but yeah, the thing I love most about her is she's totally fearless, you know, and, and I think we saw that in overtime when she scored five really important points. Um, but yeah, she's fearless. She plays really hard. She loves the game of basketball unbelievably high IQ. Her mom was a national team player. Her dad was a national team coach. They all still play like they play in these adult leagues in Denmark and, um, you know, just a real basketball family. So I love her poise. I love her. Uh, she loves to have the ball in her hand late in the game. Uh, not afraid of, of taking a big shot. And um, she's just an overall great kid. 4.0 student. She's just awesome. We got to talk about the Pac-12, very tough conference. You look at Oregon, UCLA, Arizona, the list goes on and on. Yeah. How does competing in this league help, help a team to reach their full potential? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. I always tell people, you know, when when people ask me about, oh, you play number three this weekend or number one this weekend, I always say everybody in our program signed up for that. You know, they, they chose to come to the University of Colorado knowing it was in the Pac-12 knowing that it would be the toughest league in the country and that every weekend, pretty much you're going to play a top, uh, maybe not a top five team, but a top 15 team probably. And, um, and so we love that challenge. You know, it's, it's kind of nice when it's every weekend because there's no real lulls in your schedule. Like I've been here, you know, this is our day off. I've been in the office all day watching Arizona state, trying to make sure we're ready um, because Arizona state can, can beat you too. And, um, you know, and then Arizona on Sunday. So it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think our team loves the challenge. Um, you know, the mental focus that it takes because there's so many different styles in this conference um, is really pretty tough and challenging, uh, but our players love it. And um, we need to consistently rise to the challenge, not just, you know, this one game this past Sunday. Despite kind of the craziness of the times we're in, the polls this year um, for women's college basketball have kind of remained the same until your win, that is. Um, kind of shook things up a little bit. As we head into the last like couple weeks, two months of the season, do you kind of see some more upsets happening um, as we sort of head into the tournament now that people have settled in more to the season? Yeah, I think this season is so interesting because um, every week, even every day almost, you don't really know there's, there's nothing that's like rock solid. Like we think we're going to play Arizona state Friday night, but in all honesty, who knows? I mean, we're preparing to, um, you know, and then same thing with Arizona on Sunday. So I would expect there to continue to be upsets. I think everyone that has played pretty consistently, consistently, we've been really fortunate. We haven't, you know, had too many games canceled or postponed. Um, you know, we're in kind of a rhythm now, like we're practicing normally, we're playing pretty normally and, um, you know, I think teams that have had that opportunity or should be hopefully clicking, you know, at this point in the season um, and not ironing out too many wrinkles. So, um, so yeah, hopefully there's more upsets. I mean, it's certainly exciting, you know, when there is, but there's, there's just so many great teams, you know, at the top that, that don't let too many slip away. 
Coach, it's been five years at Colorado. What have been some of your favorite moments over the past five seasons? Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, certainly Sunday was probably the biggest one. I, I don't think anybody could argue with that. Um, you know, even last year, those, the games that we were in against Stanford, while they were heartbreaking, you know, and some that you'll maybe never really get over, um, those were pretty remarkable. I mean, we only had three upperclassmen last year and, um, I think we only have four this year, so we're still pretty young, but those were big games. You know, I think our first year we beat Kentucky here and, um, they were maybe 15th in the country. That was a big one. Uh, Miami, we beat here, uh, I think the second year and they were top 20 team and, um, Arizona last year was, I think maybe 11th, uh, when we beat them. So, you know, always the opportunity to beat those top 15s. We just got to make it happen. You were a pretty great player in your own right. Um, you led St. Mary's to the first ever NCAA tournament your senior year, still in some uh, all-time list there. Um, what have been some of the biggest changes you've seen from your time as a player and then now to a head coach? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. There, there's so many changes, um, you know, from recruiting to, um, you know, just the way a team can function uh, within the framework of compliance. Um, you know, I would say the basketball, the biggest differences are the, the strength and physicality and athleticism of everyone. You know, you, you know, many years ago, you could say, oh, there's a big six, five kid on this team, but that six, five kid was going to be probably kind of lumbering, you know, down the floor, not super athletic. And now six, five kids are playing on the perimeter and, um, you know, Fran dumped in warmups yesterday, you know, or on Sunday, um, you know, so things like that, but the game is really, really athletic and, um, and, and people can just do so many different things, you know, athletically. And yeah, I mean, it's really pretty fun to watch, but I don't know if, I don't know if I'd be as good now as I was then. <laughs> we can't talk about your playing days without talking about Kelly Graves. You played yeah. under him, obviously the coach at Oregon, you coached alongside him and you two remain close, even touted a lot of praise and deservedness towards your program following the big win. What lessons did you learn under him as a player, coach, or competitor that you've taken with you now as a head coach? Yeah, I think um, the, the best thing that I learned from Kelly in all three areas um, is that the game is meant to be fun. Um, you know, we get really, obviously everyone's very competitive and, and we take everything very seriously, but in the grand scheme of things, this is a game, a child's game, um, you know, that, that we are all playing and coaching and um, when I was a player, uh, my last two years of college and Kelly was coaching us, I just remember being in late games and I remember describing him like a kid in a candy store. Like he just loved those moments, you know, and the excitement when he could just draw up something at the end of a game. And, um, you know, he just made everything fun and practices were fun. And I, I really try to try to do the same, uh, you know, with our team and, and keep things light and, you know, focus, but definitely light. And um, but the, the other thing that has had an even bigger impact on my life in general is that he really taught me that you can do everything. You know, don't let anyone tell you if you're a mom, you can't be a coach. If you're a coach, you can't be a mom. You know, you can, um, you know, he showed and his wife's pretty amazing, Mary, but um, he showed us that, that you can really have the best of everything as long as you're willing to work for it. I love it. Coach, I got to ask you about the Asia Wilson statue. It was installed and celebrated this past weekend. It's the only women's basketball statue I've seen outside yeah. of it was Pat Summit, outside of Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville. But even outside of that, to be immortalized in that kind of a way in the basketball world is such a huge deal. Yeah. What do you think it speaks to in the world of basketball as a whole? 
Well, obviously her impact on the game has just been remarkable. And, and um, you know, what Coach Staley has done there at South Carolina is equally remarkable. Um, you know, I just, I, I thought what she posted about her grandmother not being able to walk on the campus where her granddaughter's statue was now placed, that just, man, that just really struck me, you know, because we're just in such a, I don't know, as a society, we're in a really tough spot where um, I think for a lot of people, we're really starting to um, feel the pain of um, a lot of African-American people I know on my team and in my life, in my world, really, truly understanding what their daily um, challenges are. And so it just, it, you know, and, and I know for us, we're, I'm trying to be very intentional about understanding that and, and um, being, um, you know, really cognizant of how the world's, what's going on in the world is affecting them. Um, you know, on a daily basis. So to be able to see, you know, that statue, I mean, it's incredible for the Gamecocks. It's incredible for women's basketball, but even on a grander scale, uh, it's incredible just for our society to know that um, while things are challenging and not where we want them to be, we're, we're still going in the right direction. You spoke about some of the unknowns with the COVID season. Um, it's obviously made coaching and playing difficult. You kind of have to go with the flow, um, but we've had a, had a season. We're looking kind of towards the end of it now. So during the past year or so, do you think you've gained a greater appreciation for the game and for being able to do what you do? Absolutely. Yeah, I think every coach and every player and every trainer and every manager that's that's doing this, you know, is trying to play and making it happen has, has really only learned to thrive if they had the right mindset, which is just roll with the punches you know, and, and appreciate every single opportunity you have to practice. Every time you have an opportunity to get in and watch film, obviously play games. Um, so yes, I just, every time I can be around our girls, especially because we can't be around them as much as we normally are. Um, every time I get to see them is just, it's awesome, you know, and we love it. And we try to try to make the most out of every time we can be together. Especially why the fun thing is so important. In, in this day yes. and time. But the last thing I have for you, coach, you got the shout out from the Nuggets following the big win as well. And I'm a new, I'm a halfway Nuggets fan with Marcus Howard from Marquette playing with them this year. Okay. But tell me what is so great about Colorado, whether it be the basketball community or the mountains, whatever angle you want to take it. Well, you know, it's funny because before I came to Colorado, I coached some players from Colorado. Like when I was in Utah or California and every Colorado kid I ever coached no matter where we were at the time would say, Oh, Colorado is just the greatest place on earth, you know, and they just couldn't stop raving about it. And at the time I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but now that I'm here, I totally agree. I mean, we get 300 days of sunshine a year. Um, the mountains are literally right outside the front of the arena, um, right on top of us. And, um, it is a great basketball community when the nuggets coach, you know, gave a shout out to the team. I thought, that's so Colorado, you know, like that everybody's just got each other's back. And um, that was really special when he did that. But for those that haven't been here before, you got to come. It's pretty special. I need a trip back there once Colorado or once COVID is over. Excuse yes, me. Yes. Yes. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck against Arizona State and Arizona coming up this week and with the rest of the season. All right. Thanks, you guys, for having me. I appreciate it. A huge thank you to J.R. Payne. She is just incredible, super positive, and absolutely great to catch up with her. Really glad that our paths have crossed. Let's stick with women's hoops. We have a huge rivalry renewed. The Huskies are visiting Rocky Top for the first time in 15 years. It's UConn against Tennessee. And I just wanted to go through the story of how this came to be. 
how it came to be put on pause and why it's back, because I think it's really important for the game. So beginning in 1995, Carol Stiff of ESPN made a phone call and the rivalry was born on MLK Day that year. So these two teams would face each other four times in national title games. So the rivalry became a high stakes sort of extravaganza. And in my opinion, it created this women's basketball super stage. So Carol had had UConn locked in for this MLK Day game in 1995. She needed to find the other opponent. She called up Pat Summit after Sylvia Hatchell at UNC had declined. And Pat ended up saying, you know what, for the good of the game, I'll take it. The rivalry lasted for 12 years. And then it lay dormant for 13 and it was revived in January, 2020 in Hartford, Connecticut. So it was the first one without Pat Summit as a coach. But former player Kelly Jolly, now Kelly Harper, was a first-year head coach. So, of course, the pending question that everyone asks is, why was this storied rivalry canceled? It was so built up over so many years. In 2008, Gino Ariema said, <laughs> said that the series against rival Tennessee was canceled because Pat Summit accused the Huskies of a recruiting violation. He told reporters, Summit doesn't have the courage to say it publicly and then went on to say she accused us of cheating at recruiting. She doesn't have the courage to say it out here. So yeah, Gino does know and yeah, I've said it. Gino, always very outspoken and something that I also think is worth noting, Pat Summit never poked back at him. Uh, she never really spoke openly about things about UConn or about him or their program. And so back in 2005, UConn had self-reported an NCAA violation related to then top recruit Maya Moore, who Tennessee also went after in the recruiting battle. It was for giving Maya Moore a studio tour of ESPN out in Bristol. And in 2007, the 12 year standing rivalry was canceled by Summit. Even though UConn had already signed to extend it, UConn had won six in a row at one point. Tennessee has won three of the last four, but the Huskies won at home last season in the most recent battle. Connecticut leads it all time, 14 to nine. Obviously this is the first one without Pat in Tennessee, but her spirit lives on through it as the event raises money for the Pat Summit Foundation, which further supports Alzheimer's research. Again, worth noting, Gino and his wife, Kathy, have donated tremendously to the cause over the years as well, despite how fiery the rivalry may have gotten. And this year, what I am very excited about, we'll finally get to see Paige Beckers on a national stage. She's one of the biggest storylines for this game. Again, UConn, having been on pause, did not get to play two powerhouses that they were planning on. So this will be a great opportunity. We also have plenty of men's games to look ahead to this week, Kara. I want to say I did not know that story. So I am glad you did some digging. Um, and I'm glad it kind of has happy ending or you know kind of it's cool that they've come together now to do some good like you said get to see a big game on a national stage but yes on the men's side there are also some big games this week um we have UConn on the men's side playing Creighton on Saturday two teams we haven't really talked a ton about here but they both they are both ranked um so that should be a pretty good game we also have Baylor Oklahoma State on Saturday Oklahoma State beat Kansas last week before Kansas went on to lose against Baylor. And then in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Wisconsin will be this weekend. Ohio State's um, won the last three. They're actually playing Purdue right now. Um, and we'll see if Wisconsin um, can get back on track. 
Ohio State and Michigan play on the women's side. Both teams are ranked in, in this rivalry game. It's 11 versus 17. That's happening on Thursday, which is the same day that UConn and Tennessee are having their rivalry game. And then UCLA and Stanford, a five, five versus six matchup is occurring on Friday. One thing we did want to make a note about the ESPN article by Mina Kimes about the experience of a woman in sports was released late last night, gained a ton of traction today. And I think just as two women who do work in sports, who do a podcast and have our other jobs and and just try to do what we can in this space, I just think it's worth bringing up to say that, you know, women deserve to be heard. Women deserve to be empowered, uplifted. And something that I'm really adamant on, and Kara, I know that we talk about it is, you can support people without, you know, having to make it a thing. And this is something that I really enjoy about our friendship and, you know, just how we've grown is that you can just support women without making it into a big deal. And I know that sounds maybe strange to some people, but it is so easy to just be a supporter of someone to, if I like to say, if you resent other people's success, you'll never, you know, experience success for yourself but also to support women when, when things like this happen that are so horrible, that are in the workplace that no one should have to deal with just to try and do their job. And so to just continue to support women in sports, uplift them, speak their names in rooms that they are not in, I think is so important. I think you couldn't have said it any better. Like you said, we talk about this all the time. Um, and it's something I know we both do have a ton of friends who are women in sports across different teams and different leagues and all over the country. And it's obviously a huge blessing. Um, part of the job is being able to connect with all these great women. We had a great woman on the podcast today to talk about her team. Um, so just continuing um, to do so, to advocate for each other, to stand up for each other. I think it's an unfortunate reminder, but just a reminder to keep doing so. And we have our final four is four positive things from the past week. And Kara, I know that you have a woman that you want to shout out in your final four. So why don't you go first? Perfect. Um, I do. I would like to give a shout out to my friend, Epiphany. She always listens to the podcast. She's also a big women's college basketball fan and men's. Um, so she'll send me some fun notes to talk about or something she's seen. And I really appreciate her and her friendship. I want to give her a shout out for getting um, promoted this past week to assistant AD. Um, she's just a superstar. She's really good at what she does. And she's just such a great friend. I also, another one of my positives, um, kind of in the same realm, it was announced that Sarah Thomas would be the first woman to ever officiate a Super Bowl, um, this year's Super Bowl, which as a football fan, I think is awesome. We've had um, a couple of different women who have been officials and have won in the Super Bowl is obviously awesome. Um, my third, my third one, <laughs> This story made me tear up. Um, it was Oklahoma State's D. Mitchell award, was awarded a scholarship. He's a walk-on. Um, head coach Mike Boyton and his staff actually went to the Walmart where he was working. Um, he'd been working different shifts to pay for school because he was just a walk-on on the team, um, but they surprised him. They had their whole team on a Zoom call and they awarded him a scholarship. Um, it was actually three years to the day that he showed up to try out for the team. Um, it was a really awesome story, a really cool video that Oklahoma State um, put out, actually was on the Today Show as well. So 
gained a lot of traction, but just a really awesome story, obviously very well-deserved. And my final positive, um, Xavier Tillman, former Michigan State Spartan, he made his first NBA start for the um, Memphis Grizzlies on MLK Day, which is obviously huge in the NBA world. Um, just players always love playing on that day and big for Memphis. And for him to get the start, they had, I believe one of their players was out with um, COVID protocols. So um, just very excited for him. He had 12 points and six rebounds. So he's doing big things. I love it. My first on my list of four positives is the Asia Wilson statue that was put in outside of Colonial Life Arena in South Carolina. The only other women's basketball statue that I've seen is the Pat Summit one in Knoxville. But again, we talked about it with J.R. Payne. I just think it's a huge deal for the basketball community at large. I have to give a little bit of a shout out to Kevin Love. He wore the Keep Showing Up shirt. Basically, the story goes that someone from the Cavs had reached out to me. They told me, Kevin Love wants a shirt. And I went, oh my gosh, I love Kevin Love. No pun intended. Uh, mailed him a shirt, wrote him a note, and he threw it on. And they took a photo and sent it to me. So thank you to Kevin Love definitely a positive for my week. The Capital City Go-Go of the NBA G League have a new GM and it's Amber Nichols. Um, she is now one of two female GMs in the G League, so shout out to her. So the Ravens, Lamar Jackson got knocked out. Bills fans, or better known as Bills Mafia, started an online drive to raise money for Lamar's Blessings in a Backpack charity and raised, as of now, $360,000 and it provides food for school kids for the weekend. So just a really cool story there. That is awesome. And I have to say, I do kind of like ending the show on with some positive vibes some positive stories. Um, so, and Jenny, I wanted to say congratulations. I know the Packers also won. So another little NFL note, but overall just good positive vibes for the end of the show. And now they're gonna win the Super Bowl, right? That's what's next. Um, after, no. after the next game, I mean, they're, yep. they're going to win the Super Bowl. They, I mean, you can still say they're going to win, but they have to win one more and then they can win the Super Bowl. That's fine. You know what? Go Pack Go. Everyone knows this. I'm, I really don't watch football, but I, I will still call myself a Packers fan. I guess. Got to cheer for the hometown team. Exactly. And like everyone loves the Packers, even people who don't watch football, people in, I'm sure people in Iceland like the Packers. But anywho. <laughs> Another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thanks to J.R. Payne for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and Kim McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher and Kay. Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.